I'm Tim Ritter. I'm Nate Hansen. We're almost heretical. And this is how the Bible works. Welcome back to Almost Heretical. Last time we talked about snowballing and how the biblical writers build upon this idea of the Messiah figure and these kind of heroes in the Bible and what we're looking for in the Messiah as the story goes along. And so, well, we I want to get to that. Well, so here, one of the things I forgot to say is that what David adds to the to the profile is David is one who is anointed as king, and that's when this thing begins to become called the Messiah. So someone who is Messiahed, anointed, uh, now becomes to lead, now becomes part of the profile, and that's why we have this idea of Messiah. So Okay, okay, so the Messiah thing didn't come around till David? Uh, yes, more or less correct. So uh, Mashiach, just Hebrew, means to anoint or the anointed one is the ceremony you take oil you put it on the head oil is kind of this elaborate uh part of hygiene most people can afford it basically get your hair wet uh and as a symbol of anointing someone to be king Mm. Uh, but that becomes a part of the anointed one this hero figure once there's a royal throne there's a kingship there's a dynasty then the this figure will no longer be this kind of impromptu leader like moses uh or just sort of this military leader uh like joshua but it'll actually be the king of the nation and so uh, the messiah is the anointed king okay okay so that's the snowballing thing and that's how david fits in and that's how this like messiah idea comes about and this all kind of like pushes forward to Jesus eventually, but are we there yet? Or what What do you kind of want to talk about this time? Yeah, so we just sort of try to get up to the point of David uh, in the last episode. And uh, here, uh, like I said, snowballing will happen both with ideas. It will happen with uh, prophecies. And that's a little more complicated because prophecies are always intertwined with the humans who will be the subject of those prophecies. Um, but so for instance, uh, David is promised that if he's faithful, that God will, similar to the promise to Abraham, God will use his children and his children's children and the family that will come from him to be this great house, this great family, uh, that will help bring about what this whole story has been trying to bring about, which is restoration, renewal, healing of eventually the entire world. That promise gets latched on to David, but then we see that David wasn't the one, right? Like you said, the character piece, it presents David as the one up to a point, and then we realize it wasn't him. He couldn't finish the job. So that snowballing character piece says we have to look for another person. The The prophecy piece says this person will somehow still be able to fulfill this prophecy. So now what we're going to do is we're going to look within David's lineage uh, within David's offspring uh, to find this person. Uh, so that prophecy kind of gets snowballed forward. Uh, but then I think what's what's super fascinating here is we're actually going to see how texts, specifically uh, the great Isaiah scroll, or as uh, we Westerners call it, the book of Isaiah, is actually snowballing on top of itself in order to uh, kick this ball forward. Okay, but Tim, you said something about talking about Hezekiah. And I said, wow, that sounds really interesting. And you said, no, no, it will be interesting, Nate. Just wait. So <laughs> you said, I'm going to make Hezekiah more interesting than anything you've ever heard. So what, how do you, yeah. 
Hezekiah. Tell make me about Hezekiah that. great again. <laughs> okay. So uh, we'll fast forward through a part of the story. You know, ends poorly with David. Then he gets this warning that things are going to fall apart. And then, you know, David's son, Solomon, right? Again, Solomon looks like things are going really well. He builds the palace, the temple, economic prosperity, and then it all falls apart, right? So we're just seeing this thing happen again. So David's not the one, maybe Solomon. Nope, Solomon's not the one. And then, like you probably know, and most listeners could identify with, the books of Kings, 1st, 2nd Kings, the books of 1st, 2nd Chronicles. It's like the same thing. Well, not just that. Like, Have you ever been able to actually enjoy reading those texts? Uh, uh, No. (laughs) Why? No, I've not. Give me a um, kind of like what I told you about Hezekiah. I felt like it was gonna be boring. It it is boring. Yeah, it's repetitive. It's um, trying to think of other boring words. Um, <laughs> yeah, monotonous. It just kind of goes on and on, and it's about the same stuff over and over again. And it's hard to like differentiate between this one and that one. And I just kind of get confused and lost and want to move on to something else. Yeah. Well, it's hard to find where it's important. Right, like you think that's yeah, it's not very impactful or practical, or or it feel it feels that way. Yeah, so yeah. I think uh, uh, secondary to that question is Nate. I'll I'll ask you. Uh, so in the in the last episode, I asked just you know think of the prominent you know characters in the Old Testament. Uh, we named Moses, David, Abraham, Noah. Like where on your list historically in your time teaching or uh, learning in church world, theology world, like where does Hezekiah rank <laughs> on your list of important characters in the Bible? Um, I mean, pretty low. I don't remember really teaching on him much or teaching about his story very much, honestly. I don't know if right now I could tell you. I'd probably have to go look up like what he actually did, honestly. Yeah, totally. And so I think uh, here's why it's worth noting on this. So the reason why uh, I'm going to make a case so Hezekiah is a very important uh, link in this chain or a layer in the snowball of hero figures in the Bible. Part of the reason why I think we haven't talked about him much uh, in the church traditionally is that, like we just said, the books of Kings and Chronicles, we really don't know how to do much with them. They're confusing. It basically just seems like hey, we got a good king and a bad king and a bad king and a good king, and you don't really know what to do with it. It just seems like a historical record. Uh, And then the other piece where Hezekiah shows up, the other text is Isaiah, and in the first half of uh, the scroll of Isaiah. And Isaiah is just so dang complex and complicated, most Christians have no idea uh, what to even do with it, and I don't even think we notice that Hezekiah is in it. And so uh, it's much easier to read, say, like First Samuel and the stories about David and Saul, right? I think they're just literarily they're easy for, easier for us to figure out. Oh, I think David's supposed to be a good guy. I think Saul's like probably supposed to be a bad guy. I think I could kind of jive with that. And then we basically just skim through uh, Kings and Chronicles, right? Um, and I think it makes it worse that in our uh, Protestant ordering of the Bible, we put Kings and Chronicles next to each other because then it just makes it totally boring and monotonous when we <laughs> when we go from one to the next. Uh, but, okay, let's just give like a little primer. So basically you have David, then Solomon, things fall apart, and then what you essentially have is a split in the kingdom. Remember that, Nate, where you go from having one Israel. Oh, yeah, like the northern and southern Yep, type so thing? you have... Yeah. Uh, the nation of Israel becomes the northern uh, ten tribes, and then the southern nation of Judah 
which is David's line, uh, centered in Bethlehem, the northern kingdom, centered in Samaria. And they actually not only split, have a civil war, they actually end up warring against each other like rival nations, uh, which is part of the tragedy of this unfolding uh, historical drama. And then you get to this kind of climactic political uh, set of events where one of the sons of David, one of the Judean uh, kings, is Hezekiah. Uh, He's the son of Ahaz, and Ahaz is a bad dude. Hezekiah ends up being a good dude. So we don't have time to get uh, into the details. But 2 Kings 18, 1 through 8, offers a literary introduction to Hezekiah. And it has lines like, There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. Uh, which includes even David. Uh, And I could go through every verse and show how pretty much each verse is a direct reference to one or two characters who are a part of the snowball in the past. And it's presenting uh, Hezekiah. It's basically his literary biblical resume (laughs) for how this guy is the next uh, messianic deliverer and the most important character we've come across in the Bible thus far. Okay, so he's important. You made him important. I don't know if he's exciting yet, but you made him important. (laughs) Yeah, I don't expect you to be intrigued with that much. (laughs) Okay, so then we actually read the story, or at least the portions of Hezekiah's story that the biblical authors want us to read. And it's this sort of complicated political drama. But basically, Hezekiah is the king, and Isaiah, the prophet, is alive during this time sort of as Hezekiah's uh, faithful sidekick or sort of prophetic assistant who, well, is to help the king, but if the king goes astray, then then Isaiah is supposed to be there to sort of steer him uh, right. And essentially what Hezekiah does is he, he is the king under the threat of Assyrian invasion. So the northern tribes get exiled to Assyria, right? It's the, f- the first exile, and uh And the southern tribes, under Hezekiah's rule, face the same destruction. And Hezekiah essentially proves faithful with Isaiah's help and successful in saving Judah from destruction and leading the people both to freedom and uh, faithfulness. So he ends up being this political national hero uh, that keeps Judah, the southern kingdom, and thus the, the nation itself, of Israel from being entirely taken captive by the Assyrian Empire. Because the northern kingdom was, and he keeps the southern kingdom from being captured, right? So, yes. Okay, so he did all the good stuff, but where's his hit a rock moment? Did he have one? Yeah, so do you remember the strange story? You pro- it probably will ring a vague bell for those of you who've kind of been acquainted with uh, Bible stories for long enough. The kind of random story where Hezekiah gets sick and then the king of Babylon starts sending him get well letters and gifts. And then there's this strange uh, piece where Hezekiah brags to all the Babylonian messengers about how wealthy they are. And, he, and Hezekiah shows these guys from Babylon all the wealth Judah has. Do you remember that story at all? No. Okay, so he's a king. He helps avoid this Assyrian uh, destruction to the Assyrian Empire. But then there's this other empire or looming empire right around the corner. And, and after all the successes of Hezekiah, you just have this story pop out of the blue (laughs) and he's sick. And the King's like, Hey, Hezekiah, King of Babylon, like, Hey, get better, man. And here's some gifts. And then just randomly Hezekiah's like, Hey, come see all our, all our gold and all our, (laughs) 
all our wealth. And it essentially is implying this is kind of like a Trump-Putin relationship between like two nations that really shouldn't be happening. Like Babylon is another enemy threat. Mm. So then Isaiah is like, hey, who, who is that? And then, and then essentially Hezekiah is like, oh, it's the Babylonians. And Isaiah says, well, what did you show them? And Hezekiah is like, oh, I showed him all of it. Like, yeah, I showed him everything. And Isaiah is basically then he just says, bro, like the day is coming when everything will be gone. It'll all be carried off to Babylon. Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> so Isaiah is Muller then? The prophet Muller, example? something like that. Uh, so it's this funny story. You know, we're making some jokes in there. Uh, but it's this funny story that kind of pops out of nowhere. But it's basically he just say Hezekiah is the symbolic hero who saves Israel from being destroyed by one nation. And then at the end of his life, he sets up what's going to happen in the future, which is this other nation is going to come in and completely destroy them, just like they were afraid was going to happen to Assyria. Hmm. So literarily, Hezekiah is accredited for saving Judah from destruction at the hands of Assyria and blamed for the future exile to Babylon. And that is his downfall. And then there's this hilarious piece at the end which says, uh, at the end of these stories, we're just reminded of other great achievements like how Hezekiah built a pool and a tunnel to bring water into Jerusalem. Uh, And then he dies. And then immediately following his son, the next king, ruins everything. Uh, So it's another one of these stories where you've got good, 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 good. This guy's so great. He's the great deliverer we've always been waiting for. And then, whoa, where did that just come from? And it all falls to pieces. Hey, Brian, do you know anyone that was once a teenage fundamentalist? Uh, Troy, you know that I was because you and I have a podcast called I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. I did know that. But you know what I find myself asking these days? No, I don't, but I think you're going to tell me. What about all those things that church gave us definite answers for? What are we supposed to think about all those things now? Well, funnily enough, that's what we're doing for season five of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. Ooh, Brian. I sense the Lord at work here. Mm, He works in mysterious ways. And we are going to unpack these things. We're going to find out what we do think about them now. So tune in to Season 5 of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, the official podcast for the Azusa Street Revival. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not quite sure that's true, but it is available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi friends, it's Nate. Real quick interruption. Just wanted to say if you have any questions or thoughts or want to share your story with us, we would be so honored to hear that. And also, special announcement, um, our shows are now being transcribed. Thank you, Sarah. So if you want to read these shows instead or as well, you can now do that. And also if you want to help support the show, that would be awesome as well. You can do this all at almostheretical.com. Okay, so I, I made the joke about Muller being like Isaiah, the prophet, whatever. But like, how does Isaiah fit into all this here? Yeah, so, okay, I already told you so. Uh, historically, at least according to these texts, uh, Isaiah and Hezekiah were alive at the same time, right? Isaiah's life, the original prophet named Isaiah, is overlapping with these political events, escaping Assyrian exile and then the threat of Babylonian exile not, not long after. Right. Um, and then... Remember, though, I said that uh, Hezekiah's dad, Ahaz, was one of the, the bad kings. He's he was a bad dude. So Isaiah was alive then, too. And actually, some of what we read 
and some of the early chapters of the, the book of Isaiah is in relation to uh, Ahaz. So let me just pause here before we get into some, some interesting Isaiah stuff. Nate, like what has your sort of uh, experience been with the idea of there being multiple authors to Isaiah, the whole second, third Isaiah? Have you been around people that like push back on that idea or get scared about that? No, I mean, I haven't really. I, Isaiah, I, like I felt over the last couple of years, the complexity growing and what this actually is. And some of even all this other stuff we're talking about with the Bible and layering and like different parts to it and, you know, different authors and that kind of stuff. But what I used to teach of Isaiah was basically just the like, we like sheep have gone astray. And then the, the, the piece about like the, the one you do around Christmas time, right. Of like the prophecy of Jesus, right. Those are the two sort of components. <laughs> but other than that, like it's just kind of this really complex book, you know? Yeah. So We'll have to get into the details uh, some other time, but essentially there's a strong scholarly consensus that what we now know as the great Isaiah scroll or the book of Isaiah uh, was clearly a compilation of of multiple uh, texts over multiple periods by multiple authors Uh, and that the, the text itself is open and admitting to that. Um, so Isaiah one through 39 is called first Isaiah. And then you get split up of the latter half of Isaiah. Most scholars think they're two separate, a second and third portion of Isaiah. The basic premise is that some, some real historical figure, Isaiah began teaching or potentially writing texts himself or having uh, his disciples write them down, which is alluded to in the text. And then a lot of time goes by and those texts get repurposed and reworked to adapt for uh, events. I've seen firsthand just the massive amount of pushback from conservative Christians on that idea. And I think people are just deathly afraid of the idea that a text, especially texts with prophecies in them, like we see in the beginning of Isaiah, uh, prophecies, for instance, about how a virgin will give birth to a son and his name will be Emmanuel, how that text could be about one thing at one time and something else at another time. Hmm. Uh, and so conservative world has largely been intimidated, I think, by that premise, even though serious Bible scholars, like there's no, there's no question. Well, it's just insulting to like the people who it was originally written to. It's like, I just always picture them reading over the thing and be like, okay, okay, I'm with you. Wait, what the heck is this talking about? This baby? Okay. Okay. I'm with you again. I'm with you again. Like, like it it meant something to them. Right. You know, you don't send me an an email and I'm like, I have no clue what that line was about. And then, oh, 20 years later, I get it. He was talking about this other thing that no one knew about. Like, it just doesn't happen. It's insulting to the original audience. But it, it comes close to making people feel like we're saying the Bible was wrong. <laughs> and that idea or premise is so scary. And especially when you're operating on a, on a foundation of inerrancy, uh, that idea is destructive to the entire thing. So here, let me just show you something I think is fascinating. So uh, Isaiah 7 and 8, this is kind of where the really interesting stuff happens. Um, so this portion of, of Isaiah, these couple chapters overlap with, uh, some of the political events we see in Kings and Chronicles. And so, uh, before, before Hezekiah, remember we just talked about, he's presented as this great, uh, hero, 
before Hezekiah, it was, it was Ahaz, Hezekiah's dad. And Ahaz was living as king in the time, uh, and Isaiah was there as well, in the time where he faced two political rivals, a nation called Aram and then his own kin of the northern tribes of Israel. And they're at war with each other. And he's really scared of those guys. And so what he does, remember I said this is like the political equivalent of Trump befriending uh, Putin. He makes an alliance with Assyria, okay? And, and that later backfires because it puts, uh, it puts them at the threat of the Assyrian nation a generation later when Hezekiah is king. Uh, but, but here's the interesting thing. Isaiah 7 and 8 are referencing this turmoil, this threat. Uh, between or conflict between Judah under Ahaz and uh, these two nations, uh, Israel and Aram. And Isaiah records a message from God saying, Ahaz doesn't need to be scared of these two nations because God is promising Judah will not be destroyed. And then if you remember, Ahaz doesn't believe and there's this thing of God says, okay, I'll give you a sign. Uh, to convince Ahaz that he doesn't have to be scared, and specifically he doesn't have to be scared because Assyria is going to come in and wipe out Ahaz's enemies. Assyria is going to do to the northern kingdom of Israel uh, what we call uh, the Assyrian exile, and because of that, Ahaz and Judah don't have to worry about being destroyed by Assyria. But Ahaz doesn't believe, like the old uh, heroes of old, Abraham and Moses and them did believe. So God promises a sign and Ahaz says, what kind of sign? And the answer to that question is the thing we read in churches every Christmas. Uh, the young woman or virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And before this little boy is very old, the guys you're afraid of will be dead and gone and you won't have to worry about him anymore because the king of Assyria is going to come uh, fix everything for you. So just think about it. Uh, the promise is to Ahaz that a son's going to be born that will essentially be a part of this sign and uh, actually help bring about uh, the ultimate resolution. And the name, Emmanuel, means uh, God with us. Uh, but do you remember we said uh, the section in 2 Kings 18, the introduction to Hezekiah was presenting him as this kind of ultimate layer in the snowball? Uh, well, one of the things said about him was, and the Lord was with him right. and he was successful in whatever he undertook, which is a direct reference back to Joseph and Joshua, who said God was with over and over again. So <laughs> the virgin is likely Ahaz's wife or concubine or whatever. And Hezekiah is Emmanuel, which means Isaiah is prophesying a prophecy that came true in part that this new hero figure who's going to come uh, be a sign of restoration is Hezekiah. And then you read a bunch more stuff in Isaiah, and then you get to the end of what scholars said is First Isaiah, chapters 36 through 39. And the whole point is that these predictions that Judah will be spared from their wars uh, and Assyria will go wipe out uh, the, their enemies. And Hezekiah, <laughs> this little kid who's going to be born, will reign. It comes to fruition. And essentially then uh, these chapters of Isaiah then borrow from those chapters telling Hezekiah's story uh, in Kings and Chronicles. 
And they do the same thing where they present him as, uh, as the answer. He is the one. He is the Emmanuel. Uh, he is the anointed one. Uh, but then you have this weird story again uh, where he invites Babylon to come and uh, eventually uh, create the downfall. So, so just, just think about this. The book of Isaiah is saying that Emmanuel is not Jesus of Nazareth, but Hezekiah. Now, how does that make you feel for a second, Nate? Yeah, I mean, that helps a lot because I've always felt like that has to mean something for the people that were actually hearing it. It's not just this magical verse for the future talking about Jesus. So that's talking about Hezekiah. It's talking about something in their actual time that was going on then. It's it's this snowballing building forward. He's this Messiah figure in Hezekiah. And then we're also let down about Hezekiah again. And then we use that verse. We repurpose that verse again for pushing forward. What's the next one? Eventually Jesus. And I get how it kind of works in both ways. I think that's really helpful. Exactly. So then, I mean, one of the main things for scholars, why they say clearly uh, the bulk of Isaiah was written in at least two very different periods is you have these stories about Hezekiah and the warning that Babylon's going to come soon in Isaiah 39. And then Isaiah 40 opens up and says, you're about to be free from your exile to Babylon. Like it's clearly uh, generations later. The thing they were scared of, Babylon did come in. It did wipe out Judah. It did carry the people off into exile. They've been in exile for a generation or two. And then some voices declaring that they're about to be liberated from that slavery. Clearly a massive portion of time has passed. So what actually ends up happening is that Isaiah itself, so what I just said is earlier, that the book of Isaiah says Emmanuel is Hezekiah and not Jesus of Nazareth is, is partly false. The first half of the book of Isaiah says that. The second half of the book of Isaiah says the first half of the book of Isaiah was ultimately wrong in a sense, uh, but not wrong that it needs to be uh, erased or we pretend that this prophecy was never stated. We pretend that we never got our hopes up in Hezekiah. Uh, we cover our tracks and avoid anybody thinking we made any mistakes. Instead, it says Hezekiah was another link in the chain. He was another layer in the snowball. This was not and he him. wasn't the Messiah. He wasn't the ultimate one. He wasn't ultimately the one. But what we're going to do is instead of giving up, we're going to repurpose this. Hmm. We're going to repurpose these hopes that a, that a son could be born and give hope to a whole nation. We want to latch onto that. We want to hold on to Just that. like we've done in the past with repurposing all these different figures along the exactly. way. Exactly. But now, whoever is working on uh, composing this uh, end scroll of Isaiah, it's repurposing even the texts. Hmm. And so it's preserving this first portion of Isaiah saying it was false, but at a deep sense, it's true. On the surface, it didn't get the job done and Isaiah was wrong to get his hopes up. But somewhere we're going to hold on to that, that Isaiah and this idea, this prophetic hope that it's ultimately true, but we're going to pass the ball forward. So don't look in the past toward Hezekiah or towards Isaiah. Look into the future. Uh, and then you get this really interesting stuff, uh, which we'll cover in a future episode of this servant figure. And actually the reader of the book of Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah, being invited to step in to be the one who this was pointing to uh, in the future. You made Hezekiah pretty interesting. I will give you that. You made him pretty interesting again. And that was fun. And this is like the snowballing 
piece that I think really helps in understanding these kind of good and kind of bad figures from the Old Testament and how it pushes forward to looking for the Messiah figure. Okay, that was another picture into how the Bible works. If you have any questions, thoughts, want to share your story, or just get in touch with us at all, you can do that all at almostheretical.com. We will see you next time. Peace.